You're listening to a podcast from 702. 702. The Naked Scientist. If there is one thing I look forward to when, you know, I uh, usually I'm on 947 during the weekend breakfast, but every now and then I visit our sister station on 702 and uh, enjoy afternoons with Rilewukhile. And this is a feature I'm always like, yes, I love this. We get to learn, we get to explore, and we get to ask all those questions that some that are around us might think like, ah, oh, how do you not know that? You're so silly. But nope, when it comes to Dr. Chris Smith, the chair of science at the University of Cambridge, he does not make us feel silly at all. He he is ready for all your questions that you have that are science related. You can send them through to us right now. 072-702-1702. Dr. Chris, good afternoon. Welcome to the show. Dr. Chris, are you there? Nope, doesn't seem like we have him on Sorry. the line. Oh, Sorry, there he Jim. is. Do you know what the problem was? I, I was You're on I mute. Was on mute. <laughs> <laughs> oh, after that amazing introduction, you built me up. And I was thinking, oh, God, I hope I live up to expectation. And I immediately destroyed everyone's expectations. Oh, it's, it's not okay. using the falling into the simplest man trap of, of all technologically speaking so i'm sorry about that how are you not a problem at all dr chris i am well thank you it is the science of online meetings and it may be 2023 but same old problems right <laughs> well we've switched to zoom because we used to use skype and, uh, and it caught me out i've got so kind of brain programmed it's like your cerebellum like brain level automatic subconscious how you do things and i just uh, forgot that i had to change a few settings so whoops whoops but it's all sorted now and we are all the happier for it let's dive straight into some of the questions that we have received from our listeners you can also give me a call 011-883-0702 if you've got a question for dr chris here is today's first one Hi, why do I always weigh lesser in the morning, even if I didn't go to the loo the previous night or I never sweat? I always weigh lesser in the morning. I just want to know why, why? That's an interesting one. And I suppose we all wish we would weigh what we weigh in the morning throughout the entire day and throughout our whole lives. Chris, what's, what's the answer to that one? Well, you do lose weight as you sleep. And this is because you have a basal metabolic rate. And for the average person, that's about 60 calories an hour when you're just recumbent, that you're burning off. And that keeps your body ticking over on all your different metabolic processes. And if you're burning energy, then you are basically converting chemistry, chemicals in your body, into heat, which you lose. And you also convert them into CO2, carbon dioxide, which you breathe out. And so therefore you are losing things from your body all the time. And on top of the energy burn you are losing water because one of the other products of metabolism is water and we have uh, what what are called insensible losses so when you breathe onto a mirror you'll see that the glass fogs up temporarily that's the moisture leaving your body and each of us breathes out half a liter of water every day what so that's that's half a, that's half a kilo of water you've breathed out before you've taken anything else into account and although that person said well i don't sweat well that's not true because unless you are certain members of the royal family in the uk who claim they can't sweat <laughs> then um you you do all sweat we do all sweat and your feet alone squirt a liter or two of water into your socks each day so we all sweat we all lose moisture and when you add all those losses together and the energy burn of keeping you warm and alive then it does translate into a degree of weight loss overnight which as soon as you get up in the morning you then replace because you have a nice hearty breakfast and then you go about your day so, so chris are you, is loss are you saying i should reasons. sleep more should i sleep more and i'll lose more weight 
Ah, well, there's another reason for that, which is that when you go to bed and you go to sleep, you suppress the production of a hunger hormone called ghrelin. And this suppresses your uh, desire to eat and you produce more ghrelin when you are sleeping longer. And so therefore, if you sleep less, you will feel hu more hungry. And actually, doctors have cottoned on to the fact that people who... Uh, are putting on weight may be undersleeping and there's various other things that not getting enough sleep can do to your health but they are sometimes prescribing an extra hour in bed particularly for kids who are often going without enough sleep and it's also translating into weight gain because you allow your hunger hormones to then kick in and uh, make you eat more than you should so yes an extra hour in bed can paradoxically by doing less translate into more weight gain and this More is why I love the naked scientists here to take all your questions. Let's go to Pule in Johannesburg. Pule, good afternoon. How are you? Good afternoon. Uh, Dr. Chris is here for your question. Go ahead. Yeah, man, I'm trying to get to know as to has science not discovered as to what do African science do to can turn a person important? Man, I'm 45, I haven't got married, and my cousin has told me that I never will get married now. It's something that happens to my body, and I'm not sure as to whether will I ever come right, because I've been to traditional healers all over, and there's nothing working for me. So could it be something that is scientific, is what you're asking, Dr. Chris, as to why you aren't progressing in life, in particular in relationships? Is that what your question is around, Bule? Exactly, man. All right, uh, Dr. Chris, I don't know how you'd, you'd attack this one, but I suppose that's why I'm on this side of the mic. What do you say to that? Well, first of all, commiserations that you haven't met the right person yet, but the emphasis is on the word yet. And yet. every day is a new day, and you can get started as soon as you put down the phone and stop talking to me. The, the answer is that there's a lot to be said for a positive mindset. And if one thinks oneself into a corner, then very often you'll end up sitting in that corner. If you think of yourself as a winner, and you think of yourself as someone who's going to make positive change, and you expect the outcome to be a good one, and you put in place various strategies that will increase your odds of those things happening, they're much more likely to happen. The best way not to win and the best way to lose is to make sure that you don't take part and you minimise your chances of winning. You flip it round, the best way to win is to make sure that you do take part, you are in the race, and that you are trained and doing your best to be in peak performance. If you're going to play a game of tennis, what would you do? You, you'd, you'd spend lo lots of time playing tennis and getting better at it, and you'd ask someone, look at my game, where are my dropping points? And they would make some practical tips and suggestions. It's exactly the same with life. And if you want something and you want to make changes in your life, you've got to say, well, this is what I'm going to do. Set yourself a deadline. Don't procrastinate and leave it till tomorrow. Get going on it. Have a positive mindset, a winner, winning mindset, and you're much more likely to succeed and winners beget winners. Once you start winning, you get on a winning streak. It reinforces your positive outlook and your mindset enormously in the same way that if you flip it round and you're in a negative spiral and you're thinking, well, things are not right, they're not going to get any better, you tend to think yourself into that corner and you won't get out of it. I couldn't agree more. I love that, uh, that that challenge your thoughts, change your thoughts, and you'll absolutely change your outlook. One does impact the other. Let's go to Puruso out in Centurion. Puruso, ah. Hello, Holy Signing. Hello, uh, Dr. Chris. How are you this like afternoon? To, good, thank you. I would like to, to know, why do wheels appear to be turning backwards when the car is going forward? 
Mm. The answer for this one, Plusa, is that when you are driving your car and you're driving it down a street, say it's under street lights, this most often is apparent under street lights, you will see it look like the car wheel starts off going in one direction, speeds up, stops, and then starts going backwards. And you see this in some old films on television as well, especially in old westerns where the, the car will start to move away, the wheel will go forwards, forwards, faster, 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 stop and start to go backwards. And you think, why is the wheel going backwards? It's because of a stroboscopic effect. And in both cases, something is giving you a glimpse of the wheel at a certain number of times a second. Now, if it's street lights, the frequency of mains electricity is 50 hertz, which means it's going plus minus, plus minus 50 times a second. So the light is going on and off time 50 times per second, on and off 50 times a second. So you're actually getting 100 glimpses every single second of that particular light uh, wheel. And because the wheel, if it's accelerating, there'll be a point on the wheel which, as the wheel is going round, it initially gets back to where it started, then it goes round a bit further, but because the wheel has speeded up, it's gone round again and come back to almost where it was before, and almost where it was before, but a little bit less. And each time it's doing that, it looks like that point is moving backwards because it's not quite making it back to where it started, but a little bit more. And as a result of that, your brain thinks, well, it's not because I'm seeing something a 100 times a second. Your brain thinks it must be going backwards. So it's actually an optical illusion, but it's a stroboscopic effect. And in the case of the old westerns I referred to, they were using cameras that had a relatively low shutter speed. So uh, they were, sorry, frame rate. So they were going flick, 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 taking pictures, and the wheel wasn't turning fast, or the, the camera wasn't going sufficiently fast to outcompete the rate at which the wheel was turning, making it look like the wheel was having this strobing effect and going backwards. So it's the same phenomenon, and it's what, what you're seeing when you see these cars going down the road. It almost reminds me of, you remember those cameras when we were younger, and you would look through the viewfinder, and then before you moved on to the next picture, it's almost as if it would go back first before it went forward. Is, it that, is that the stroboscopic effect that you speak of, Chris? Well, you can see strobes being used in discos and, and uh, nightclubs and things as well when you create these fast flashing lights and it looks like people's hands are moving in a bunch of, in a series of steps backwards and forwards as they wave their arms around or they dance. They, you seem to get them sort of jumping from one position yes. to the next because you're getting an illumination and then darkness and illumination. So you see life as a sequence of snapshots. You're seeing that wheel that's, that's rotating in a series of snapshots, but because the wheel's speed is not a constant, it is accelerating you're seeing a slightly different part of the wheel get back to where you started looking each time and the bit you were looking at has gone slightly further each time, making it look like the wheel is going in the wrong direction. I'm taking this new word to me on my next date, a stroboscopic effect. Ha! I'm going to sound smart on my next date. Uh, next question coming through here, Chris. Uh, he's answering all your science-related questions. It's Dr. Chris, the Naked Scientist, Chair of Science at the University of Cambridge. And Dombi wants to know, hi, Chris. With the start of the Australian Open, I noticed that the players always snack on bananas. Why is this fruit a snack of choice? Well, bananas have got a lot of potassium in them. In fact, um, there's so much potassium in them that they're a bit radioactive, a bit like bags of peanuts and Brazil nuts, but not dangerously so. And when you're doing a lot of sport, the thing that the mineral that keeps your muscles and nerves working optimally is the potassium that's in them. And because you're going to lose those salts when you sweat, 
and you, you lose some in your urine as well, then you could be minimising your opportunity to maximise your sporting prowess. So it's down to you eat something which has got sugar in it, which is important, lots of sugar in a banana, and that's good for energy, but there's a lot of potassium as well, and this can help to keep your minerals up. Straight on to the next one. It's 12 minutes before 3 o'clock. We're with the Naked Scientist uh, here on 702. What are all your science-related questions that you have for Chris? Hi, Dr. Chris. Um, which is the more accurate depiction of my image? Is it the image I see in the mirror or the image I see uh, in the front camera of my phone? Or is it the image that comes from the back camera of my phone? Right, okay. When you are looking in the mirror, you are seeing light rays which have hit your face, bounced off your face, hit the mirror, bounced off the mirror and come back to you. When you look at a picture that a camera, some other device has taken, then you are seeing the consequences of that light going into the camera, being captured by the camera, digitized by the camera and then presented on a screen in the phone or device or in some other device. Now you can immediately see that one of them is the raw light that hit you, went to the mirror and came back so you get to see what you're really looking like in the moment. The other has all been through processing which can change or distort, lead to aberration in an image. So the most faithful representation of you is going to be you looking in the mirror. The least faithful is you looking at a printed out picture because there will be lots of losses there. And a sort of middle ground is, well, because printers are, printers are only good up to a certain point. Now, if you get a photograph professionally printed, they will use really good dyes with a really good colour range on a really good photographic paper to make sure they get really good representation. If you run this off on your average colour inkjet or something, there's a, there's a more limited palette there's a certain dot size that it can put down on the paper and therefore the resolution, the quality of that image is going to be much, much lower. So it really depends on how much processing has been done. Now these cameras on these phones, they don't save, most of them do not save the individual sort of pixels. They do, they do image compression and it's a way of saving data space on the phone. So basically, to show you how this works, if you've got a block of the picture where there's a whole bunch of blue and a lot of the blue is all the same colour. Instead of storing the data for each of those lumps, lumps of blue, it will store one piece of data that says all these bits here are blue. There are some areas where the blue is so close to another blue it'll say let's regard those as both the same blue and then we don't have to store two pieces of information, we can store one. You just take the one, so yeah. And it compresses the data down. Now what you've done is to make something that your eye probably isn't quite good enough to discriminate, not, not until you really take this to the max, but what you have done is throw away data. So it's never as good as the original because you've compressed the image to save saving space. Chris, it's so the word. It's, the, it's how you use the, the word answer. faithful for me. Your mirror is more faithful to you than your camera. <laughs> mirror, mirror on the wall. <laughs> Who's the fairest of them all? Let's go to Raiz Ed Randberg. Dr. Chris is on the line and ready to answer your scientific related question. Hello, Dr. Chris. How can we... Is it true that atoms in everybody touch a nuclear explosion happens? Is it true that when atoms touch, there's a nuclear explosion? Sort of. Um, there's a couple of ways of thinking about this. In the sun, which is up there keeping us all warm and illuminated in the sky, that's pretty much what's happening. 
when you've got a massive object like the sun, which is very hot and it's very massive, so it's got a lot of gravity, it can squeeze atoms together sufficiently hard that two atoms, think of them as like two tennis balls, squeeze together to make one. In fact, what the sun does is it takes four tennis balls, four atoms, and squeezes them together and makes a new, different atom. And when it does so, it gives off energy. In fact, the sun is losing about eight million tons of mass every single second, and that's the energy that's coming out of the sun that's keeping us all illuminated. So yes, there sort of is an explosion, because that's the nuclear fusion process, and that is what is keeping everyone here on Earth alive. None of us would be here without the sun. None of us could live here at least not for very long, without the sun providing us with that energy which illuminates the world, keeps us warm, gives plants the energy for photosynthesis so they can capture the sun's energy and turn it into food that animals and we can eat. And it keeps us all alive. Raiz, thank you so much for your question. Let's go to Centurion Stanley. Dr. Chris, the Naked Scientist, is here for you. Hi, Dr. Chris. I'm, I have a question for you. My, my kids are forcing me to become more modern and look into the world of virtual reality with their games. And while I was looking at it, I'm a training provider myself. I saw that they're starting to use virtual reality a lot for training purposes. Pilots are using it in other professions. My question is, how effective is virtual reality training compared to on-the-job, hands-on training? Is there any research in that yet? Interesting. Thanks, Stanley. Um, thanks, Stanley. I'm not a huge expert on how this translates to on-the-job training, but certainly I can speak from a sort of neuroscientific point of view. And the answer is that it's pretty good because what you're able to do when you are training people to recognize things and react in a certain way, you're helping the brain to build a sequence of connections which are automated. So when X happens, do Y. And if you were swinging a tennis racket, for example, you get to learn what the trajectories are, what the body language of the opposition um, is, and you move accordingly. You become good and streamlined at doing those things by pattern recognition. Your brain learns the visual patterns that predict X happening, and then you execute Y movement. So really taking people through processes that gets that muscle memory built that's critical. And surgery is a really good example of this as well. Rather than practice on a real person and possibly mess it up, why not build a rendered three-dimensional virtual person so you take the scans that have been done on that person at very high resolution, you get a computer to render them into something that it looks like the real deal, and then you can practice your operation, taking yourself through the sequence of steps so that you've got more of your cognitive bandwidth, more thinking time available in your brain to work out what to do next and how to anticipate when things might not be going the way you wanted them to or if X happens, do Y to mitigate. And you're not concentrating so much on so much of the doing that you're robbing away your cognitive bandwidth. And so that I think that probably there is a lot to be said for doing these sorts of things in the virtual space because it creates enough of an element of realism, but at the same time it's artificial enough that people can calmly approach and rehearse a situation and learn those sequences of movements, those patterns, those sort of recognitions of how to do things in a way that, that means that they will reinforce the good without panicking about doing something wrong. 
Makes me think we wish that, you know, uh, our, our leaders that be and ESCOM would have gone through some sort of a VR simulation of all the energy problems we're facing in the country so that when it does happen, they would know what to do. Perhaps we'd be better off. But hey, <laughs> we are living in a certain reality. I think we've got time for perhaps a question or two. Let's go to this one that is asking around deafness. Dr. Chris, hello and Happy New Year. Quick question, is deafness um, genetic? And then is also migraines genetic? And allergies genetic? These are the three things that I have, which my parents had. And I, my kids are having the same issue right now. Uh, with uh, migraine and uh, pollen allergies. But then for me, it's deafness because my parents are deaf and my left ear is slowly deteriorating. So I just wanted to know that. Thank you. Happy New Year to you as well. The answer is that you can never say never in medicine. So if anyone ever says that's not genetic, they can't possibly know that. So there are a whole raft of things that you can get. If you have a family history, one of the most important questions we ask when we're taking a history from a patient is tell me about your family history. And if someone says this runs in my family, you always take them very seriously. Now, let's look at each of these in turn. Allergies. Yes. Definitely. There are certain types of immune genes that we get from our parents which do load the dice and make it slightly more likely that we will be prone to allergies. There are other factors that affect our risk of allergies as well, but certainly the hand you're dealt by your family, if you come from a family, a long line of people with allergy, then it's not surprising that you might have a higher risk of allergy. Migraines. Yes, people do say that, that if their family are prone to migraines, then this sometimes happens to them as well. Deafness, there are definitely some genes which are linked to losing your hearing. Now, usually these are quite rare. Usually they're quite dramatic. Most causes of deafness are because of occupational exposure or lifestyle exposure. But it's not to say some people are not more prone to hearing deterioration more rapidly. And this is just a sort of word of warning to people. If you're out there in a loud environment and nightclubs play ear bleedingly loud music and it's that loud exposure to sound which progressively damages the cochlea in your middle, in your inner ear, it's the structure that basically turns the vibrations of sound waves into electrical signals that your brain can decode. Those are lost. Um, the hairs in there which do that conversion are lost over a lifetime. And you can accelerate that process by exposure to loud sounds in the environment but some people might inherit certain genetic makeups that mean that those deteriorating effects happen more rapidly in them so you get really the combination of all of those factors put together oh man what a pleasure it is to learn uh, from you dr chris i'm so glad i got to experience this in live real time the naked scientist dr chris smith chair of science at the university of cambridge with you every single monday just after 2 30 what a pleasure chris enjoy the rest of your day and you, Happy New Year once more. It's probably the last time we get to say that now, isn't it? We're it is. We're going to give it to say that. <laughs>
<laughs> once you're mid-January. So if you can say Happy Chinese New Year as, as, as that's coming up. And that's still coming up. That, I suppose. But the science on Happy New Year is done. You are absolutely correct. He's back again next week, Monday. So if you've got any questions that you would love to be answered that are science-related, we'll get them all in for next Monday. Thank you so much for allowing me into your homes, your cars and offices, and for such a warm welcome from everyone here at 702. It's been a pleasure to be in for Rilewe We'll get to do it again tomorrow. She is back again with you on Wednesday.